All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best. You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcast. And with that familiar music, you are listening to the latest of the episode of the podcast. I'm Matt Porter. I'm Andrew Scambatti. And I'm Chris Carroll. And we want to welcome you to a very special edition of this installment of the podcast. Um, hey, today hey, we're gonna... hey, hey, what are you guys doing in here? <laughs> Who? I said you guys uh, could come by and, and practice and do stuff at, at Podkiss Central, but I didn't think you guys were going to take over the show. Uh, well, what is you... all Matt's idea. Oh, okay. And I, and I eat all the Doritos, too. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> someone's going to have to make a run because Gary goes nuts without those things. <laughs> anyway, you've been introduced to these rascals, Matt Porter, Andrew Scambetti, and Chris Karam, and I am some guy named Ken Mills, and we're doing a show. Andrew, what's the show about? You seem to be uh, in charge here, so go for it. <laughs> Today's installment of the podcast is all about... <laughs> My favorite thing, and the thing that we maybe should or shouldn't talk about, it's Kiss Bootlegs. Ah, <gasps> uh, yes. Dun, dun, dun. It's one of the most talked about things, one of the most sought after things. But this is one of those things that, you know, we have to talk about. Every Kiss fan either has one, seen one, or oh, yeah. wants one. And it's one of those things that's never going to go away. It's the Kiss topic that dare not be spoken of, yet we can't stay away from it. That's right. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's kind of go around the room and let's talk about our first bootlegs. Our first KISS bootlegs. Andrew, let's start with you. My first KISS bootleg, I remember like it was yesterday. It was uh, on VHS. If some of you people actually remember those. Um, it was Madison Square Garden, 1977, on the Rock and Roll Over Tour. When I got this tape, I didn't really realize that when the Rock and Roll Over Tour started, when the Love Gun Tour started. So I see MSG 77, I think it's Love Gun. And I put it on, and I'm like, you're not wearing the Love Gun costumes. This is... This is rock and roll over. But regardless, I watched the video. I enjoyed it, and it's one of my favorite bootlegs to this day. Chris? Mine was actually a vinyl LP called Fried Alive that I found in a comic book store. It was late 80s, and it was like 30 bucks at the time when I picked it up. And it's funny because it's from the first tour, but the very first cut is uh, an audio excerpt of Clint Eastwood playing Dirty Harry. <laughs> And, you know, you got to ask yourself. And then they go into, do you want to hear Kiss or something like that? And then it ends with Cool Hand Luke and that Strother Martin going, what we have here is failure to communicate. So it's a great it's a great sounding bootleg and everything. But, you know, it was vinyl. It was probably the first one I think I'd ever seen. So I had to have it. You know, ridiculous price notwithstanding. Well, what was the ridiculous price? It was about 30 bucks in 1988-89. That was about the going rate. Yeah. That's like yeah. $7,500 now. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Take they sold it on eBay for 10000 I put a down payment on a house and life is good. <laughs> awesome. Living the dream. Or you could right. buy half of the monster book. <laughs> mm, well, we'll see about that. Okay. Uh. Mr. Matt Porter. <laughs> you know what? I remember the first bootlegs being uh, audio cassette, the kind with photocopied green covers and handwritten. <laughs> and they, uh, half the time. And we would, we would pick them up at the conventions, and half the time the songs aren't even Kiss, but you would just be looking for anything that was that was different or anything that you didn't have. And I'm pretty sure the first thing that I would consider a bootleg were those cassettes. Yeah, I saw a ton of those in the day. Well, I'm, I'm kind of uh, in the Chris club here. Uh, I'm one of the Uh-oh. elderly people here. Uh, I don't know about his <laughs> age, but I'm going to say that mine was a, a vinyl bootleg. 
I remember it had, there, there was a couple of them that I bought that summer. One of them had the Mega McCracken picture where uh, the boys are grabbing her boob and the blood and the whips <laughs> and everything. I, it is, was a is live this the recording. One, Ken, I don't mean to interrupt, but is this the one where you flip it over and you can't show it to anybody under the age of 15? Yeah. Okay, I, I, I remember that one very well. Well, maybe next year I could see that one. Well, there yeah. you go. <laughs> if, if you're good, Andrew, if you're good. <laughs> but I remember having to go to, like, uh, record stores that would have, quote-unquote, imports. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. Same places where you'd get things like uh, Kiss Killers at the time. And uh, weird cut-out versions of, like, the solo albums or the German uh, solo albums and things like that. You know, mm -hmm. with the S S's on the side and whatnot. I remember going to places like Critical Sound and things like that, and record barns and stuff like that. And you could always get Kiss bootlegs, and it was kind of neat. I guess when we talk about bootlegs, there's two different kinds of bootlegs. One we really don't care about, I would imagine. The first bootleg is, back in the 70s, they would do things like replicate the album Soup to Nuts. And they would try to get you to buy a bogus copy of whatever album it was. Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be a pirated copy, though, Ken, yes, as, as yeah. opposed to bootleg? Right, but but you got to understand... In, in product. Exactly, it's yeah, a bootleg okay. of okay, a product. Okay, I'm not trying to, you know... Right, right. Just, because I remember reading an article way back when they were talking about record pirating, mm -hmm. and Gene's quote was something like, I wouldn't call them pirates. That gives too much romance to it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but you know, this is, And this is like 1980-81, so, mm -hmm. you know... That was one of the reasons that Bill O'Coin wanted to put all the extra stuff in the albums because those weren't as easily replicated. You know what I'm talking about? So he oh, put yeah. the things yeah. like the posters and the love gun pop-up and the stickers and the tattoos and the whatnots and the whistles and bing bangers and twist toslers so that people would buy authentic product. But what we're discussing is fan recorded and or demos, right? Hmm. Well, you know, I think you're really what you're hitting on for the most part is the fact that really what we saw was the like really the birth of home video. Uh -huh. You know, like when you yeah. started, like like you figure really around the late seventies, early eighties. Like I don't remember the. I think we, it was probably about nineteen eighty two or three when we had a VCR and it was this huge monster that you could have used as oh, yeah. as a boat anchor. And, and I think, you know, and, and that's, I think, really where you're, like, I, I totally hear what you're saying. I think, to me, the difference, like a bootleg, we always considered it something that really wasn't available. As, a, like, exactly like you said, a pirate would be as if I'm trying to sell you, here's the new album. Which I think, really, when you look at the context of today, has totally changed. Because it now, it's so easy digitally to absolutely give you the exact copy. Here's the new album that just came out five minutes ago. Okay, I just burned ten copies of it. And it's why the record industry, or whatever's left of it, I think is in such a shamble. Because it's so easy to copy things in an absolutely direct way. Whereas a lot of these things that we, would, that we I think, are considering bootlegs are things that have never been out or that really didn't exist. And in my mind, right. I never understood why they were so against it because, especially as a KISS fan, we already had everything. We had everything two or three times. Excellent so when you were, if, if you were getting a video that, first of all, the band didn't pay anything to produce. Like, like I have a bunch of, like, I have crates and crates of these tapes that were probably recorded with somebody with an 8mm or a high 8mm or they were copies of the promo videos that they never released. So it's not like it really cost them anything 
like to put it out. Well, they weren't losing money by me buying a copy of Hot in the Shade from the Spectrum, you know, because it was somebody, and I probably knew who it was, somebody uh, with a camera just recording it. So uh, they're two very different things in my mind, you know, as far as what that product is. It's so weird to me because you have this band that's probably the biggest visual band of all time. And up until recently, and when I say recently, I mean like, you know, 2005, 2006, 2007, when Kissology, you know, became a reality. You had a band that had a handful of visual souvenirs that you could officially purchase. I mean, we have right. we have Rock yeah. Nation, we have the Symphony, but before that, you know, you had like clips on Exposed uh-huh. and Extreme Close-Up and, and Confidential and things like that. But you didn't have a quintessential 1977 pro shot concert from Largo, Maryland or from wherever. So right. it, to me, it almost seems like they kind of missed the boat on this stuff. Oh, and I guess when they figured out they were missing the boat on this stuff, they wanted to make sure that they were the only ones releasing that. And, you know, what it always seemed like to me is I, I don't know what Kiss has in their vaults. And, you know, neither does anybody on this show or, or probably anybody listening. But what it seemed like to me is it seemed like the Kissology series came out basically to put a copyright on everything that was already existing because aside from a few nuggets here and there, everything on that Kessology series we had on VHS since nineteen eighty eight. Right. And right. sometimes in better quality. So what it yeah. seems like to me is that Kissology was maybe the be all end all of, well, you want bootlegs? We'll give them to you. We're not gonna give you anything that you don't have, but we're gonna give you something that way if it ever comes out again, it's our property and we can go after you now. Yeah, this way they can go before a judge and say, Look, look at this footage with this footage. It's the same thing, Your Honor. We have a we this this is our legal copy right now. Mm-hmm. You know, one one sorry guys, but one thing I never understood, and this is when I was going back to record shows and paying, you know, twenty dollars a pop for a marginal quality VHS cassette was why isn't KISS putting this out themselves? Mm-hmm. You know, especially like um, the late 80s, when, I mean, late 90s, when they had the reunion tour, and that would have been the time that they just launched the website, sell it through the website, like, you know, every month, here's uh, Largo 77, next month it's hot in the shade. Just put them out on either DVDs or better quality VHS, but, you know, instead, I mean, there was, what, a 20-year, almost a 20-year lag between the Kiss bootlegs, you know, surfacing on VHS, and then the official ones coming out on Kissology? I just never understood that, especially where, you know, the, those guys look for any opportunity to make money off the Kiss name, uh-huh. and I and I would have gladly rebought them earlier because you know like you guys I went out and bought the Kissologies on release day and enjoyed the hell out of them. You know at least they were a little bit better in some cases, and you know you had the surround sound and it you know it made sense. It took them so to, so long to finally come out with it, and I just and I never understood why they didn't jump on that thing. You know at least ten years earlier, you know right around the time of the reunion tour, and it would have made sense. And it, you know, probably would have had an even bigger audience. I mean, those Kissologies sold very well. Chris, that's a great point that you make because you have a band that right now they have a four thousand dollar book out there. A four thousand dollar book. That's not an exaggeration. That's not an inflation. Tell me They have a four thousand dollar book out there. So clearly, the band is. I'm not going to call them money hungry because they're only putting out what people want. Exactly. But can you imagine if they put out? You know, the quintessential 1977 Kiss Pro Shot in 1996. I mean... Oh, God. I mean... That would have been that would have gone through the roof. Plus, everyone would have bought it on videotape, then would have had to buy it again on DVD. So. <laughs> and that would have been me. That would have right. been me, like, with Unplugged. 
because Kiss right. was a pop culture phenomenon at that point. Mm-hmm. You would have had people just buying that because it was Kiss. Because, I mean, let's face it, now Kiss, they're popular now, but it wasn't like what it was in 96. I mean, you could walk into any, you know, a- any little deli and see Kiss magazines every week. Right. If a product came out at that time, it would have skyrocketed and it would have probably had the band put out many more titles like that because they would have wanted to capitalize on the success. Absolutely. Matt? Well, you know, I think, and also what we're talking about there is just on the price. Think of that. Those Kiss Kissologies are like 20 bucks for three discs, whereas we were paying $20 per oh. show for third, fourth generation copies. You know, like I think of some of the ones like that Anaheim 1977 or that Largo, which my copy of the Largo show on VHS isn't that far from what came out on the uh, you know on the Kissologies, but at the time to be able to scoop those up that was the kind of stuff everybody was looking for you know and I think uh, you know just for the price the Kissologies are are one of the best values people can say what they want about Kiss but that's one of the best values they've ever released absolutely who bought the uh, variant disc uh, I bought all three of them for each each volume I did too Chris I bought one copy of each Kissology, and but I have all the bonus discs, and that's all I'm going to say. Okay, Matt. <laughs> I, I, refu- I refuse to buy the same thing three times over. Okay, Matt. Right. You know what? I don't. I didn't buy them all. I bought some of the extra ones. Some of them, you know. But if I had it on VHS, and I was like, ah, I have a pretty good copy of it. You know, like you said, I'm not going to buy it too many times. I mean, a lot of time, unless it was something really. Exceptional. I think I might have two or three copies of uh, the first one, but that's it. So you know, then just as a random sampling using us for as a thing, 50% of the people who bought Kissology bought all three. So If I see them cheap, like every once in a while you walk in and you see them, they're, they're you know down to $15. You go, oh, I don't have that one. And maybe somehow that makes it into my cart. And, uh, you know, I have it. <laughs> and Papa Wookie's happy. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, you know, I'm just going to play kind of maybe angry guy slash devil's advocate. But I watched that first Kissology. I looked at the book. And, you know, as a, you know amateur video editor myself, I would have fired every single person that worked on that project when I got it. What, the lens flare and the swoop wasn't enough? Well, first of all, <laughs> you know, you got these pictures in the book where, like, they're showing, like, these great pictures, and then you got the picture of them from Japan. Peter's eyes are closed. It looked like it was an outtake that was stuck under someone's coffee table. Then you go to the actual content of the video. I'm, I'll just start with Houston 77. First of all, why is it dark? And, and second of all, why does Rock and Roll Night have three verses? Who edited that and who approved it? Because I want to know. And then, you know, you go to Winterland, there's dropouts, there's things that happen during that show. You got the same thing during Detroit. The only real gem of that set is, you know, the Budokan show from 77. And, you know, I'm not going to get into the incomplete TV appearances because I know, you know, copyrights had to be bought to put that out. But, I mean, the actual concerts, some of those things are better on VHS. And this is an officially released product. And Kiss is putting this out and saying, this is the best that we got. I'm watching Black Diamond in black and white. Mm-hmm. Are you I, thought it was, I actually thought it wasn't black and white. I thought it was like an artsy thing they did back in the 70s. And then I artsy saw it online. And I'm like, fartsy. oh, it's actually in color? It looked like someone took the film, dragged it across the floor, and <laughs> then gave it to Kiss to put on the DVD. Yeah, yeah but, that was me. I, I was the guy who supplied that tape. Yeah, but on <laughs> the other hand, the Midnight Special people wanted to uh, put that out. And if they would have shot their wad or whatever right there... 
or, or their load, there would have been no reason for KISS fans to go buy that. As it is, there are people who are doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just, it, it was really shocking to me that we had the definitive versions, and I'm looking, and they're not that good. The The stuff from Houston 77 was better on Kiss Exposed that came out in 1988. What? Wow. Well, well you're right. Well, you know, uh, I think on for years... Wait a, wait a second, wait a second. On the other hand, Andrew, you're the guy who would bitch if we hung you with a new rope, so... That's not true. <laughs> You'd say it's fine with me. That's not true. I Please. mean, I'm the guy that I will pay for, you know, most Kiss products. Mm-hmm. And and if I pay for a product, I, I don't really complain about it. I'm not the right. guy that's going to buy the record and complain about how bad it is. Right. But if I do buy something, I do want it to be a quality product. So when I shell out my hard-earned money three times, might I add you, for the same damn thing, and I'm looking at a, a copy of this video and it's not perfect, I'm like, Why? Because I can go get, you know, whoever on whatever site and download a better version for nothing. That bothers me. Well, you know, and again, I think that goes back to the technology of today. Like, when you think about buying those VHS tapes, like you mentioned that Winterland one, that was when that, when we got a a hold of that on VHS, that was amazing. Because that's an amazing show. And that's the kind of stuff that really made you want to go to the Kiss Expos. And I think, you know what, this is maybe a whole other topic. But it's something that's discussed all the time is the idea that can you have the same experience if you become a KISS fan now versus, say, the 80s versus the 70s or whatever. And this is one of those things that I think really stands out in my mind is if you're just getting into it now, you can't know what it's like to go to the expo and find these things that you've just never seen before because, and it all comes back to Internet. And just like you said, now you can find everything. There's nothing that's really considered, I would say, rare, unless somebody shot it themselves and never put it out. Because we can get a hold of everything now. And if, like, you miss their appearance on Letterman, it's it's on YouTube two minutes later. You know, but, and this would be a whole other topic, as really just, I think, as far as when you got into KISS, but, like, we would go to those conventions in, like, 89, 90, 91, things Mm -hmm. like that. Like, early when everybody, and I'll say it, is I think at the time everybody still always was thinking, okay, they don't have the makeup, when's the makeup coming back? And people would sit on the floor, and if any of you remember going to those conventions in New York and New Jersey, they'd be in the the gym, like, at the Rothman Center, or they'd be... Remember that, sitting on the gym floor, people would be sitting kind of Indian style, just watching these videos on a screen because you just you could not get them. And it really comes down to the fact that when a lot of this stuff was done, nobody had a VCR. You couldn't tape it off the air. Like when and, and my one of my favorite examples, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, was it aired and I don't know anybody that had a VCR, so it was years before even that crappy Good Times video <laughs> release that came out, which was terrible. But at the time, think about that. Better you couldn't nothing. well you couldn't dissect it. Like things happened and it was burned in your mind. But you couldn't go back and watch it 8,000 times. It was, did you see that last night? Oh, my God, this interview. And, and in fact, there's one that comes to my mind that there's this Gene Simmons interview from 78. He's promoting the solo album, which I actually recorded with a cassette recorder the off the TV. And he's in uh, Cosmic Comics in Cleveland. Yeah, yep. and yep. you know yeah. what? And that I just found that. My friend Bob <coughs> sent me the link. It's on YouTube, but it's terrible. Like, the colors are bad. You can't, but I watched the whole thing. 
thing, you know, because I really want to see it. But some of that stuff that has never appeared, and you say to yourself, like, you know, I think, I guess the point being, to me, the bootlegs, which they were not releasing at the time, I think it's what held people's interest in a, in a large way because it really helped reinforce what was the legend of Kiss. Exactly. You saw, you saw those early shows like 77, 79, you know, the, that Winterland show from like 74, and it made you realize that you might have missed it and you're hoping that it comes back and maybe this, you know, we want to see the makeup. And like I said, I mean, that's I can remember people sitting there on the floor just watching these videos, you know, over and over and over at these conventions and buying a lot of them. You know, I remember, I, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, Matt, you know, you and I are, are very, very similar because we grew up in almost the same area. Uh, we, we go to a lot of the same conventions, a lot of the same events. So I remember going to the Rothman Center and saving up my allowance the whole year right. so I could go and buy bootlegs at the Rothman Center. Hmm. And then the great thing about the, I guess, the Internet in its infancy is when it first started, you had the people that were going to these conventions that had their own website and would sell you a tape at, you know, 15 or 20 bucks a pop. So you could go on a website and they would have thousands of videos just listed there. Some of them were better than others. But you can basically go in and you could buy your show that you were at or if you heard something cool happened at this show, you can get that. And that was great. I mean, I spent so much money browsing the internet, getting things that just came out and and, and really, you know, watching what I had missed or watching what I had, you know, witnessed in person. I'm going to go you one different, Andrew. Um, instead of going on the Internet and finding it, we used to pass around these uh, pink and white and green uh, flyers that you would send back and forth through through the mail. And yeah, you, I and had those would, too. <clears throat> and, like, you'd get something that would say you could buy, uh, the, the you know, they'd be 9 or $7 a piece, but if you bought, like, five of them, you know, they'd sell them to you for like six fifty or five. the more you bought, the cheaper it got. Right. And I remember my girlfriend at the time. I would get like four or five. Like it seemed like every Saturday there for a while. <laughs> and I'd get them out and put them in. And again, we're still talking about videotapes. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> I, I would just start saying the things that were happening on the screen, and she'd like, "How do you know all this stuff?" I'm like, well, you know, you're a fan. You really, you really kind of know what's gonna happen. But she didn't realize that it pretty much the same show since 1970, whatever, <laughs> up till now. But it was still cool to get a new show. Like I remember, and I don't remember when this came out, but I remember when the incomplete Roosevelt Stadium 76 finally made its way into yes. fan circles, and it was like, oh my god, a new 70s show that, Is that we the had. Last yeah. Yeah, that yeah, that's it's the, the loss. Yeah, the loss. Come on, that, that was that short-lived release that uh, was out for about two months, and then it got you know they must have gotten sued out of existence or something. Yeah, I remember yeah. that Kiss proudly put that on Kiss Online, the pictures of them destroying those. Yeah, they bulldozing copies of that DVD, uh, but I got one. Yeah, yeah, me too. First thing I want to play for you guys is a track from uh, Hotter Than Hell show, October eighteenth, nineteen seventy-four, from Hammond, Indiana. This is one of those shows that basically just came up out of nowhere and was in outstanding quality and something that a lot of collectors uh, snapped up very quickly. So here's a track from that show. Mm -hmm. 
come out and you'd be like you know where did this come from you had to have it because it it showed the band in their infancy or maybe even not in their infancy but it showed you another visual chapter of your favorite band and for me it was always about the bootlegs it was always right. about the videos and always about the cds and audio later on always okay. my favorite thing well you know then you get like me one of my greatest discoveries was when i got largo 1979 <clears throat> right just for the sheer kitsch value of it, and Gene and Paul doing the falsettos on Tossin' and Turnin'. Uh -huh. And just, like, it's, it's almost like Kiss Meets the Phantom, but this isn't, you know, a TV movie where they can say, well, the director did this. It's, you know, it's sort of Kiss unraveling in a sense, but at the same time, it had, I loved it. The entertainment value was, was there for me, and I still, I still love that show to this day for that reason alone. Let me talk about one thing. Did you guys are you familiar with this the one called Kiss of Visual Evolution? Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I would say that we should mention it only because of the fact that I think and, and I thought of it when you were talking about how poorly done some of the Kissology stuff is, that is how the Kissology should have looked. That thing is amazing. And I mean I think it's better than Kissology because it covers more ground, it's got more clips. The way it's produced is freaking unbelievable, 
And I'm guessing that they probably edited that back when it was all tape to tape, and somebody who really knew what the hell they were doing put that together. It was actually put together by a fan in the early 90s. Uh, it was put together by the same guy who ran the you know, famed Kiss Vision. Um, he put that together, and that's still, to this day, one of my favorite bootlegs. It's awesome. I would see. That's, I was going to hold that up as probably. I think that's the best bootleg. Period. Because it was. It was, That was one of those where, at the time, to have all that stuff collected in what is such fantastic quality, in such an amazing edit. Everything is timed out. You know, they're going from "I Stole Your Love" and "Shout It Out Loud," and then they have all those audio clips. And it. It really is like the history as told by Kiss because they use all the interviews. So it. I, I was amazed by that, and I always wish that that would come out in, like, I really wish they would figure out a way to pr- could put that out themselves in the best quality copy. Kind of I recreated. Think, absolutely. and But you know what? Almost fo- they got to follow it to the letter. It's so beautiful, and, and I've watched that a ton of times, the, and I remember getting that at one of those conventions, and they were playing it up on one of those big screens, and everybody just sitting there staring at it, and it's really, I think it's one of the best Kind of, if if you really had to give somebody a tape and say, okay, this is Kiss, it's that's an amazing version of everything visual about the band, which I guess why they're calling it a visual evolution. Hey, look at that, it works perfect. So, <laughs> uh, hi, this is Lydia Chris, and you're listening to the podcast. It was funny to me <clears throat> when I would get videos, I would always ask the guy, well, is this Kiss Vision? Because mm-hmm. it, it just seemed to me that Kiss Vision kind of set the benchmark on where the quality, you know, should be. Then you yeah. had people, you know, you had someone in, in the early 2000 who, you know, resurrected the Kiss Vision name and was putting out subpar quality right. DVDs just right. to put something out on the market. And I think that guy got caught and, you know, probably everything was taken away from him. But, you know, anyway, you know, to me, it always seemed like the Kiss Vision name and, and the Kiss Vision goal or, or whatever it was, whatever you want to call it, it quality. always seemed like the person or persons who were putting this thing together just wanted to visually represent the band the way it should because KISS is a visual band. They always have been. And someone needed to do it back then because KISS sure wasn't. Right. That's right. true. Right. And it's sad because a lot of bands embrace, like for example, the Grateful Dead. They, they totally embrace the trading circles and stuff like that. They totally embrace what their fans are doing. And KISS should definitely be there. I think, right. Kiss, I think KISS did embrace it. Um, with Kissology. At one, at one time. But once they saw the dollar value on it, they thought, well, you know, maybe we can be doing this better. You know, there's so much there's so much secrecy surrounding um, bootlegs and the costumes because, you know, if you remember in the early 90s, um, someone, whoever it was, let the lease lapse in Kiss's warehouse and someone was able to get a hold of all the Kiss's stuff because, you know, the warehouse went into foreclosure or, or whatever happened to it. Mm-hmm. So maybe some of the stuff came from there. Who knows? But we do know that Kiss, you know, forcefully so, took all those things back in the public eye. Yes, I have that on a bootleg. (laughs) (laughs) You said the B word. Well, you might as well talk about that a little bit more in depth. Well, it's one. It was actually technically it wasn't a bootleg. It was one of those uh, video cassettes you can get. You could get at Tower Records that had no music, and they had the little disclaimer: there was no Kiss music on this, not authorized by the band. It was just, you know, public domain footage or something. They obviously something they bought from somebody who attended the KISS convention and it's I think it was Detroit 94 or something like that I can't remember exactly yeah KISS it was called KISS Unauthorized Mm -hmm. another one was called KISS the Vintage yeah 
Um, I think mine had a different title, but it came out. I remember buying it around ninety-seven or ninety-eight. Probably the same thing. Or, or yeah, yeah. And it's just basically Gene and Paul raiding a convention, taking back the costumes and, and various things. And it's funny because at the same convention earlier, Peter Chris was going, you know, was bitterly talking about his former bandmates, which just I'm surprised me. That almost never happens. Yeah, it's shock. It was shocking. I mean, even back then. Shock me. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. But you know, they're just basically saying, yeah, we had to go to court, and they could, sort of did an impromptu thing where they were taking, you know, questions from the fans, and they just basically said, yeah, we're going to take all the stuff, you know, and we'll, we're going to do some thing of our own, and you know, we want you guys to see this in the best possible way, as you know, as they're. I just thought it was funny that here are these two big rock stars, and they have to actually lug their own memorabilia out of a KISS convention. Yeah, and they're but, like, I'll take that, I'll take yeah. that, I'll take that, yeah, I'll take but that. Yeah, the, but then, you know, but then I'm thinking, well, you know, it was probably for the PR value of it. Well, it definitely oh, yeah. did send a message to everybody that was doing those shows. Right. Well, I was going to say, that's, that was one of the biggest problems toward the end of the expo, like really when a lot of expos, when uh, if the dealers had those quote-unquote bootlegs, if they would see somebody in a shirt and tie come in the door, everybody would throw them under the table. Yeah. And they were they all got very nervous. And, and I remember being at one of them one year where one of the tables just got absolutely busted and somebody walked in and just carted out all their stuff because it was all, you know, quote-unquote live recordings or whatever. And they were just standing there with all their racks flipped over and these, these like, state troopers came in. Boom, grabbed everything and walk right out, and everybody was looking real nervous, and it was it was pretty awful because I think it really you know kind of you know you never like to see that kind of stuff happen. Right. Well, we've been talking about video, and we're gonna kind of put a bow on the video portion of our program. But I want to go around and ask each one of you like the top three Kiss video boots that people should see. Who wants to go first? I'll I'll go because I said that I like I said I think everybody should really do themselves a favor and find that Kiss Vision Visual Evolution the uh, the title being you know Visual Evolution 1973 to 1979 um, definitely worth finding it's an amazing edit it covers so much of the highlights of those early years I think it's one of the definitive looks at Kiss let alone um, you know just as far as bootlegs and things like that and. Uh, you know, it includes clips from a lot of the ones we're going to say. It's got Cadillac high school stuff. It's got, you know, the uh, Houston 76. And, and, yeah, I'm looking at it. Japan 77 and, you know, stuff from 78. It's got some of that Largo stuff. So it's a sampler of, I think, some of the best bootlegs that you're going to find. And uh, I'm just going to say that one. Well, Winterland was one that was definitely uh, a high mark in, in my video collection. Absolutely, Chris. Okay. Well, I'm gonna just go, I'm gonna just give these three in no particular order, but I guess Largo 1977, the full show, would mm -hmm. be number one. Okay. Just because it's such a great show and it's the the shots are better, and they really went the extra mile because I think I believe they were filming it for uh, Dick Clark or one of his TV specials or mm -hmm. something like that. You're right. It was filmed for Dick Clark. That's right. Yeah, the Grammy Awards that came out like the next month. So that sh and that show alone was you know kind of like a holy grail for a number of years, and then finally once the um, the edited version came out as a bonus disc a few months later, all of a sudden the full show surfaced, and you know I, I, I got a hold of it, and you know the time code at the bottom of the screen is slightly annoying, but you get used to it, and they should have released that 
the full show, even as a bonus disc. Wasn't that for the People's Choice Award? It could have been the American... Oh, no, I'm sorry. You know what? It was the American Music there Awards. There you go. There you that go. was that in show that was invented so Dick Clark could have an award show on That's that That's right. Very, very good. <laughs> it's true. I, I, I right, said well. they destroys Anaheim uh, 76 from, you know, August because there's no, there's no official release of, an, of a Destroyer show. Right. And maybe the sound's not so great, but I still think they should release it because, you know, they released that... Um, what was that show they did on the Alaska Sology? The very first videoed show. I can't remember. It oh yeah, the Coventry. Thank Coventry. you. Does anybody? And, uh, and, while we're talking about Anaheim, does anybody have an iPad? No. This is relevant to that because if you download the iBook of Monster, they give you shout out loud from Anaheim '76. And how does it look? It's long been rumored that there's a soundboard recording of Anaheim '76. Yes, hmm. I heard that. And very just to be cool. and just to be different, I'm going to recommend the Elder Media Compilation. Because somebody has to speak up for the elder. <laughs> we know that that Anaheim '76 is that the one that starts with uh, Flo and Eddie bringing them yes, on, and and I always thought that was so funny because they they look shell shocked, they don't know where to go, and yeah. when the bombs start going off, they just kind of stand there jumping up and down. And oh. what and and what made me think about it when you said the elder because there is on that elder comp. Yeah. There's Gene and Paul talking with Flo and Eddie, and they're like, "We were scared. I'm an old guy." And the yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. See, you tied that in very well, Matt. Look at that. It's all solved history. The thing that makes me sad <laughs> is is when I watch that video. It's just what should have been captured. You know what I mean? It's 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 great for what it is, but we know it could have been uh, so do- better. documented better. Mm. But again, it goes back to the technology at the time. I mean, you figure video cameras weren't, you know, that's clearly videoed. It's not film. Whereas a lot of that stuff up to that point of Kiss is film. And then, you know, you figure it was it was expensive to record anything. Now, you know, you figure everybody in the place has a cell phone doing a HD video right in the place. Whereas a lot of these bootlegs, you know, even this professional stuff... It was a big deal that they were going to record something like that. And even like you talk about soundboard recordings, you know, the technology just didn't, it wasn't the same to get the kind of quality that we're kind of, uh, in a way, I guess, just spoiled by now. Which, by the way, I want to talk about something modern right now. When when you go to a concert, you know, you, everyone's like getting pictures with their cell phones or filming it. And it's like, I'm here, I'm here. It's like everyone wants to prove that they're there, right? And that's pretty much the big point of it. But like, I, when when I go to a show, unless I like have like an amazing camera, I just hang that up because you know that there's somebody taking those pictures that you're gonna want. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I just like to enjoy the show. I, I I'm a huge what? supporter of bootlegs. I'm a huge film guy, but I've never recorded a show because I don't I don't want to go to a show to be behind a camera. I want to enjoy the show. Right. But do you call your friends during a really great show and talk to them, telling them, I'm at the Kiss show? I love it Because when you I've get never like, understood that. I, I really love it. You, you know, phone rings about 10.30 at night. It's like, oh my God, who is that? And you hear, <laughs> It's Love Gun! It's Love Gun! <laughs> it's like, oh my... And for like 10 minutes, and then the phone just goes, and it dies. And That's pretty good. You know, I'm not, not going to lie... I actually I snap a lot of pictures. I think I get 
you know, I really enjoy trying to capture, you know, and especially you know when it's coming. Like, uh, you know, on the reunion tour, Ace did that the gimmick where he's shooting the, uh, the, the fireworks out of his guitar. And I was right on the side of the stage at Madison Square Garden. We had really kind of interesting seats right on the side. And right as he shot that, it looks like it was coming right toward us. And I managed with a disposable camera to get this really killer shot. And I think it's just, I don't know, like you said, it's being a, maybe a video guy or whatever. I always try and want to make, you want to capture that special shot the way you think of those mm -hmm. original shots that you love so much. And I guess, I don't know, I love taking pictures of the concerts. And, and especially now, you, you know, whether you love it or hate it, you kind of know what's coming next. You know when <laughs> to have the camera ready. Yeah, everything is choreographed so you can get a good shot. Right. Andrew, what are your fave three? My favorite three, I'm going to be really, really different. The first one I want to mention um, is from the Sonic Boom Over Europe tour. The uh, the show they did for Rock Am Ring. Oh, that's, that's awesome! Right, that's probably yeah, one of the. Why is that you know, not on Blu-ray for us now? Exactly, you could say what you Guess want what about his voice, but that show was shot really well, and it's just it's awesome. So I was really lucky to get an HD copy of that, and um, it's one of the shows that I go to because it's the quality is just outstanding on it, outstanding, and the band performs really well. I think. Mm-hmm. That should, but that should be a legitimate product at this point. It should well, be a legitimate product. I totally I'd agree. Like, with you. I'd like to interject because I just as long as I, you I, don't get any on me. <sighs> anyway, there was a sort of, I guess, a semi-legitimate release of that. Are you talking the Rock M Ring show from 2010? Yep, that's it. There was that was actually given a sort of semi-legitimate release in Brazil of all places. Brazil. Brazil. Yeah. It's Paul Stanley. I learned that from Paul Stanley. You no, know, this is nothing if not educational. That's right. But yeah, there, it actually was given a an official release in Brazil, and I know that because a, an online friend from Brazil sent one to me. That's it's actually cool. in a case. It's you know, it's Dolby sound, and it's pretty good. You know, I mean, it wasn't like I don't think they you know spit polished it and remixed it to the nth degree, but it's it's pretty damn good. That's well, that cool. that's appeared on uh, VH1 Classic and things like that. So I mean, yeah, there's right, definitely right. there's good versions of it that have made it beyond. Um, just our collections, so I think clear. I, I always thought that that was actually recorded by one of the VH1s in another or MTV yeah, in another it, what, country. Yeah, yeah, wasn't you know, it maybe, MTV Germany did it? Yeah, I think. I and mean, you got to figure somewhere MTV still stands for music, not in the United States. Oh, but, I know. hope so. Mm -hmm. Somewhere. The maybe. other two shows I want to mention real quick are um, either one of the nights of the Hot in the Shade tour in Detroit. I think both of those shows are, are shot beautifully. And it's one of my favorite non-makeup tours. Definitely. And then um, I, I got to mention again, Madison Square Garden '77, my first. Yeah. And the one I, the one I still love to this day. And even though it's not a concert, I can't imagine any of us not uh, getting a hold of that Tom Snyder interview once again. <laughs> Absolutely. You have, you have to have Absolutely. the full thing. I mean, you can't just watch ten minutes of it on Kissology. You, that oh, thing has to be seen all of its twenty-five minute glory. Now, the real question, does anybody have it with the entire show? Because I would love to see a member of the staff get sawed in half or, uh, you know, all that stuff. You know, I've never seen it beyond just the kiss part. Does anybody know if that exists in the entire show? No, but, yeah, I, but I, I used to have it. Um, wow. it's, kind of, it's kind of boring because <laughs> the other guests, they're, it's so underwhelming because after kiss, I'm kind of watching this. I'm like, why am I still watching this? After Ace. You know what? Speaking of that, would you consider the Paul Lynn Halloween special a bootleg? Because it's been it's been released, but not officially by Kiss. And then, but that's another one that, in my mind, when I was you know eight, 
seemed like the most brilliant thing ever. And then you watch it later and you go, oh, you know, they're lip syncing and the songs are cut in half. And, but still holds up as, you know, and I had that on a, on a tape. And it was just, I love that because I love, I mean, to me, that's such a definitive version of the band, even though it is, you know, maybe a little cheesy. And, but the entire show of that Paul and Halloween special, you almost can't believe how, how goofy it is. It is horrible. It is painfully horrible. As a matter of fact, you say it's cheesy. It should have been brought to you by Kraft. Well, you know, you know what's funny? The, that show was produced by, I believe it was produced by the producers of Donnie and Marie, which I, I did watch at that time. I was 10 years old. What did I know? They're actually on that show. And you know what's funny right. is that Marie Osmond did an interview, and she, at the end of the interview, the interviewer said to her, I really you know, loved your show as a kid. She goes, oh, you poor thing. Which I thought was great. To have <laughs> that, Sounds she like knows, Paul she doing knows it's bad. And, she, and, she, and she's not you know, above you know, having a joke, a little joke on herself. So that's, I just wanted to throw that in there for no particular reason. It sounds like Paul talking about the elder. It's you well, know, what's and, available was uh, you know, acceptable in the 70s. Every show was kind of like that. Oh, yeah. And Chris is wearing his purple socks right now. Well, there you go. <laughs> Here's something really cool. It's from Tokyo, Japan on the World Domination Tour. This was about two weeks after they did the Kiss Symphony. And the great thing about this show, it's someone's monitor feed. And for all you non-musicians, what that means, this is the actual feed that, you know, Paul, Gene, Tommy, or Peter were listening to to hear themselves, hear their basically their playback. So you hear the text calling out a lot of cues in between songs. The song I want to play for you guys is Beth, and the reason I want to play this song is because Peter's monitor and his microphone keeps on going out, and you can hear Peter's monitor technician in the middle of the song say, God help me, and every time I hear that, I cannot stop that. So listen for that on this song, and it's hilarious.
Cause me and the boys will be playing You didn't mention that in his book. I mean, he complained about everything else. Right. <laughs> it's but it's hilarious because you hear it clear as day. It's he goes, "Oh God, help me!" Because the guy probably <laughs> by fired. The guy awesome. probably knew, like that was the last day he he was at his job, <laughs> or he was probably gonna get his butt handed to him after the show. Wow! 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 Hi, this is Ace Frehley, and you're listening to podcast. Okay, so let's move into audio. Uh, one of the things, a couple things I want to put out there is, first off, friends don't let friends listen to bad bootlegs. There's just some stuff that I cannot stand to listen to. I'm a, I'm a Kiss collector. But I found myself getting so much stuff, especially in the Internet age, that I became a Kiss digital hoarder. And I right. was I was downloading anything and trading anything and getting everything and I got to the point where I was getting all these envelopes in the mail and all these files downloaded <laughs> and never got to watch them as of yet many of them. Up up next on the A and E, Kiss Digital Hoarders. Yes. This episode focusing on Ken Podfather Mills. I'm running out of hard drive space. <laughs> Doctor Drew I do? will be running the intervention, and uh, we have the best of hopes for this. Uh-huh. You know, it's funny you say that because <clears throat> I was kind of the same way. And um, I, I got to a point where I had so much stuff that I didn't even know what I had, what was good, what was bad. So it actually cost me a relationship back in 2009 because I figured I was like, I'm going to just document what I have. I'm going to capture, you know, ma- make a digital copy, put on my hard drive, find out what I have, make a list. And because I spent like two weeks doing this, my girlfriend at the time dumped me because she said I would rather be with the Kiss bootlegs than with her. She's probably That's right. True, but- <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, do you look back on that and go, you made the right choice, right? I did make the right choice because I have I have a list that I'm looking at right now that's unparalleled. It's a list that's sell. <laughs> I have everything. Everything is organized. I can find anything I need. So, but what I mean about friends don't let friends listen to bad bootlegs. There's just so much stuff out there that you kind of have to be picky and choosy. Like for example, when the band was doing the hottest show on earth tour, which Andrew and I saw together. Remember, mm-hmm. we were just across the way. Came over and said hi to you. Um, every every tour, every, every show on that tour, you could get as an instant live. Oh, you my could, God. The one from Pittsburgh it. is awful. Yes, it is. But it was a great show. It was a great show, but the sound mix, all I hear is <laughs> and snare drum. That's right. all I hear. Right. But uh, the weird thing of it is is that there are, there were people still there recording it. And... Every once in a while, you'd like find a link on a board through the old days of Mega Upload, where you would have somebody say, "Here, I, I recorded this myself, and it snuck it into my jacket, and here it is." And it's like, "Yeah, but you can, you can, it's right here, and it's perfect. Why are you doing this? It, it <laughs> Why just, are you doing this?" Yeah, it just didn't make much sense to me. The other thing I want to point out is that you have the, these last two points I'm going to make. Um, at one point, there was vinyl. And there was then CDs, and then there was cassettes. And now we're having this weird phenomena happen where you had a certain level of quality that people have fought to 
kind of restore uh, the quality of the audio sound. You know what I'm saying? And now we're getting people who are literally making MP3 copies off of something they got off YouTube, burning it to CD, and then trading it. So they're kind of polluting the quality pool. Yeah. You see where I'm coming yeah. from? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I see that a lot. Um, I mean, I'm not one of those those audio heads that's going to say, oh, it's got to be lossless or it's got to be this or that. Mm -hmm. I just want something that sounds good. Right. You know, I, I don't want something that came from a low-quality source, you know, via YouTube or cassette tape or a recorder pushed up against another whatever. You know, uh, you know, funny story I'll interject there. The first bootleg I made was a real player recording. I played it out of my computer and pushed my boombox up to the speakers, and that's how I made the cassette tape. Oddly um, enough, that's how I recorded Kiss Meets the Phantom back with a cassette recorder. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it, I don't know if it was a Kiss bootleg, but I saw something one time that said sourced from the original master cassette. Mm -hmm. Now, if that well. isn't an assurance of quality, I don't know what is. Well, <laughs> you know, somewhere somebody's going to say sourced from the original MP3, sourced yeah. from the yeah. original. Well, cassette. I mean, I'm sold. let me buy that. Yeah. Well, I mean, what do you guys think about what do you guys think about the Godfather Records? Because they've put out a couple the of shows. Godfather Records. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, Godfather I'm, I'm Risen. Yeah. Well. You know, the Godfather Records, they put out a bunch of shows, and they put out those three box sets. They put out the Kiss Carton, the Lost Tapes, and then uh, MK5. I mean, what do you guys think about those? You know, I haven't heard any of those, like, so I really couldn't comment. Really? Yeah. You know, you know what? A lot of the stuff, it's like you said, like Rock the Nation Tour and Hottest you know, Show on Earth. Those were, there's so many copies floating around from every night. You know, unless you find a really good one, there's no real reason to sit through a bad one because right, there's because so many available. And but not now, only that, the set list stayed the same it, for the most it's part. It's pretty much the same. There's one or two different songs. But really, the stuff that I'll listen to, even if it's really bad quality, anytime you can find ones that might be a studio demo, something that hasn't come out, or it's alternate lyrics, or, you know, and, and there are still some that float around that they, you know, that they didn't put in the, their own box set. They didn't, that have never really kind of made it out. Now, obviously, you know, people can send it to each other. And the quality isn't necessarily good, but you go, oh, look, those are the lyrics from, you know, this or that or the other. And, and this is like, you know, I got one the other day that comes to my mind, the song High and Low, uh -huh. which I had on a really, really bad cassette from one of these, you know, convention that says on it, Gene Demos, and it's like handwritten or whatever. But my friend Tatiana from Rio de Janeiro, she sent me the file and it's a much better file than the one I have and I think it's one of the best you know it's one of my favorite kind of unreleased kiss songs just because there's some kind of attitude about it that really and it never really has surfaced at all it's it's uh, part of it I think turned into Dr. Love but uh, you know yeah. you can, it's it's a different song and, and it's something that you know you don't see it float around as much and uh, those are the things that still intrigue me even if the quality is not so good but there's so much live stuff at this point. Like you said, there's really not a lot of sense in sitting through um, like those old, shaky, totally terrible bootlegs that we once kind of had. But there's also the uh, thing of quality versus rarity. Well, yeah, For example, Mark St. John uh, on the Animalized tour or Eric Carr's first show, right. as opposed to Kiss playing... Uh, you know the same thing on the same set list on every instant live that tour you know there's what i want to mention is something that came out a couple of years back someone found it it was a recording from memphis tennessee uh, december 2nd 76 mm -hmm. uh, they actually played hard luck woman 
the quality isn't the quality isn't the best, but it's still very cool to hear them actually attempt that song, especially back in '76. Right. Didn't you guys play that? I think that was on one of the early podcasts. I don't know. I sleep. If I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah, and I, I believe it was. I, I, but that could be my faulty middle-aged memory. Uh, you know. Well, Gary left the door unlocked, and that's how you guys got in here. We'll have to ask him. So. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to talk to that guy. Yeah. Well, you know, even I think just some of the stuff, like you said, like if they, it's songs that they wouldn't have done, and when they were doing that, um, their own Kiss convention tour, like there's a, there's an awesome double CD that came out at the start of that tour. They're in Melbourne, Australia, and it, the quality is actually really good, but it's when they're first trying out this whole unplugged thing, uh -huh. and the second song Adelaide, on the disc that right? I have, they go into Going Blind, and yeah. Gene does about a line or two, and then yells, Help me, and the whole crowd just sings the whole, almost the whole song. And I always call it the Melbourne Kiss Symphony Orchestra or Choir because they sing the whole song, and it's I think it's such a great version of it, just because it's so unique. And and especially the fact when you listen to it, you realize the people that were going to those acoustic conventions at the time when it was a hundred bucks, and that seemed like a really lot of money. Didn't uh, it though? You, you know what I mean? Oh, now I still you, think it would. Well, but I mean, at the time now, you know, you're spending a hundred bucks every time. But at right. the time in '95, it was like, oh yeah, I'm trying to convince my wife, that, you know, this is a good idea that we spend a hundred bucks to go. And uh, you know, and I have that in the New York City show. I recorded that with a with a camcorder because we were allowed. They said you could bring a camcorder, and I have the whole thing. Now my quality is not nearly as good as what like this Australia one is. And it's just unique because, you know, and especially when you start hearing, you know, Kiss Alive is overdubbed and this and that and the other. The nice thing about a lot of these bootlegs, they are as raw as can be. And every muffed up lyric, every missed guitar chord, uh -huh. drop the mic on this, <laughs> there goes, you know, you hear it. And it's, it's just like being there in some cases. So I yeah. think uh, that is the difference, quality versus maybe just like a historic kind of a thing, uh, you know, that we would enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because initially when I started getting, you know, audio stuff, and even when I was getting video stuff, I would just get anything. If I didn't have it, I was getting it. <clears throat> right. And then it became of, well, I only want the professional, you know, archives, like either recorded or, you know, soundboard. And then now it's just, I want to get something that's cool, something that I haven't heard, something they didn't do. Like, I got a show from the Dynasty Tour. Um, I think it's from Cleveland, where they actually do uh, Make in Love. And they didn't do that much on the Dynasty Tour. So that was cool. And then you know you you go down you go down I'm just going down my list right here to see you know what I have and what was good you know I got stuff from the Asylum tour you know, Little Rock Arkansas where they did King of the Mountain mm -hmm. and then you you have stuff where you know they played in the you know Zeta California the Hot in the Shade tour where they did Little Caesar so you want to get those things where they only performed a song maybe once or twice or just something that was odd that happened at the show that maybe didn't happen at the show the night before right I agree I agree mm -hmm. well is there anything you guys would like to touch on. Uh, that we haven't. Um, I just want to talk about one of my favorite things real quick. Um, you know, while we're talking about audio, uh, one of my favorite things to collect audio-wise is '70s radio appearances. Those oh, are yeah. by far my favorite. Right. Thing. There's a really, there's a really good one out there, and unfortunately, I don't have it in great quality. Um, but it's called uh, "Rock and Roll Over with Kiss," mm -hmm. and um, it was aired, I guess, in support of the "Rock and Roll Over" album. But there's you know really cool interviews with Gene and Paul, and there's like a ton of interviews with some woman named Sue Monero. Mm -hmm. I guess you know Ace and Peter were drunk or whatever that day, so they got this no. woman. That's what I'm talking said, but it's cool. You know, I added to my collection, you know, of 70 shows that I have, 
I have um, a broadcast that they did with Allison Steele, you know, promoting the first album. Mm-hmm. Then I have an interview they did in um, Los Angeles for the Dynasty tour. Mm-hmm. An interview they did in New Jersey on the Destroyer tour, and and a couple little things, you know, here and there. But '70s radio shows are by far my favorite thing to collect. Very cool. Mm. Well, Andrew, you're going to have to share some of those with our podcast listeners. I, I, I all right, I can. Do that. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, anything you guys want to discuss before we wrap this one up? You know, I would just say excellent topic. I think it's something that Kiss fans all really, uh, you know, understand the idea of kind of wanting to see everything, wanting the best quality copies, wanting something different that we haven't been able to get yet. Um, I really I like the suggestion of doing this because I have crates and crates of these, and I wish I was as organized as Andrew on the list. But uh, you know, it's just nice to see it. I mean, a lot of this stuff probably is is the copyright is owned by somebody else. Like those radio interviews, Kiss would probably have to buy the rights to put them out, and I don't think they're going to spend the money. So the fact is that you having those is really what's going to keep those around because I don't think they're ever going to surface in an official way. So in a way, we're doing you know our part. I think keeping that part of the history. And maybe that sounds a little stupid, like you know if you dream saying, well, you know it costs us money. But I think uh, you know we have probably more stuff than they do. I think. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that, Matt, because it kind of you know segued into a good topic that we didn't touch on. Um, We kind of joked about the hoarding or or whatnot here and that. But you have people that will spend hours and thousands of dollars to obtain, you know, original recordings from news stations or from the arenas or from private collectors. But you have people that actually will do the research and go and get this stuff. They spend thousands, so I always could understand why they didn't want this to get out for mass consumption. Because if you spent, you know, $5,000 on an item, would you want to give it to your friend for free? Probably right. not. Which kind of goes back to the old thing about file sharing. It's all fine and good, but as long as it's your file and meaning something you create it and you want to share it, that's fine. If it's somebody yeah. else's, it's yeah. I mean, if someone yeah. if someone were to give you something and says, "Hey, don't give this out," and then you started giving this out, to me that would be wrong. And you lose because, all credibility. Yeah, because you have people that are actually out there trying to find this stuff. You also have people who have connections on the line. Yeah, yeah, and you and you you have people who do that and. You know, it's a privilege. Then you have these people that say, "Oh, you know, you know, person A is a hoarder, and you know, I want to see everything, but I don't want to do any of the research. I don't want to pay any any of the money, because you have people. I mean, we didn't talk about the um, the book Kiss Alive Forever, where uh, two oh, guys looked at Kurt Gooch and Jeff Sues. I think the way his last name is pronounced. They did a ton of research on that. So Great they book. probably Great it's book. one of the best books. So they've probably amassed quite a collection, and rightfully so. So if Kurt or Jeff don't want to share their collection, fine by me because I wasn't out there spending money on plane tickets, gas for my car, or trying to raid certain vaults. And speaking of the vault, you know, Gene and Paul over these years have perpetuated this myth that there's this Kiss vault with all these pro shot concerts and demos and all this stuff. And I think Kissology pretty much proved that that's indeed a myth because not only, you know, you're getting, I mean, you're getting the stuff in, you know, I know, Andrew, you, you weren't enamored of the quality, but, you know, you're getting, in some cases, hacked up concerts, edited, not full shows, little bits and pieces, and it's pretty obvious that they had to probably beg, borrow, or steal just to get some of that footage. So, in a way, you know, like, the Kissologies, unfortunately, do not render 
some of the bootlegs extinct. You still have to have uh, the bootleg copy of Largo if you want the full show, and that can you know that can probably be said of a lot of the other shows in those Kissologies as well. So Kiss will not, unfortunately, can't even render the bootleggers obsolete or you know in the in the, in the eyes of the fans, if you know what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. I, on I on the other like hand, it. with YouTube, hasn't that kind of killed a lot of bootlegging? Absolutely. That's good. Yeah. It should. I mean, when you think about it, I can watch just about any darn thing I want. I can fire up my PlayStation 3, turn on the YouTube app, and watch full concerts. Literally, the same day that they were put up. Exactly. Yeah, nothing's really rare. I mean, and it's funny, because we talk about that all the time, but those days of going to the conventions and finding stuff that you absolutely couldn't find anywhere else, it's pretty hard to find stuff at this point that really isn't kind of available everywhere you know when you think and if, about it and if it is rare and found out it doesn't stay rare too long right everybody shares it right so is there anything else you guys want to do in closing first we'll say goodbye yeah, wait wait thank- hold on hold on can't do we have time to play that life of the woods track that we have here that you what? know maybe we don't have time hey, wait wait how about how about my uncle is a raft no that's my mother is a raft <laughs> no, sadly, guys, we don't have time to play those exclusives. But uh, oh, maybe, okay. maybe the next episode. Maybe the next episode. So yeah. it's time to say good night, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. So say good night, Chris. Good night, Matt. good night, Podfather. <laughs> okay. <laughs> good night, John Boy. Good night, you gotta, Matt. You gotta, you gotta pay respects to the okay. Podfather. Of course. Good night, Andrew, and thank you guys for being part of the podcast. And uh, next time you do a show, let me know, and I can get here on time. <laughs> Now, now if we just sneak out, Gary won't notice that you know we did the show. All right. Besides, these boots are made for rocking. Say goodbye, guys. Bye, guys. All right. Good night, kids, army. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, next time. And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at kissfaq.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board, too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late, great Eric Carr, and the late, great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Podcast is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podcast is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the podcast crew, Thank you for listening to Podcast, the KISS fanzine for your ears. And now on NBC's Saturday Night at the Movies, KISS meets the Phantom. You must remember this, a kiss is just a kiss, but this one's something else, sweetheart. baby.
introducing the kiss that gets you, Angel. Kiss, a new group, a new album on Casablanca Records. And Kiss rock star Gene Simmons is back in makeup and wearing bizarre clothes, this time for a movie role. This is Gene Simmons of the rock group Kiss in 1982. This is Gene Simmons with Kiss after the band cleaned up its act, so to speak, and lost the makeup. Now Simmons is back in makeup of a different sort for his role in the upcoming spy film, Never Too Young to Die. Simmons is playing entertainer Velvet Von Ragnar, a character who needs a bit of explanation. The character I play is supposed to be this sort of uh, very bad person, but has mixed sexual sort of ideas in his mind. It is a hermaphrodite, half man, half woman. And uh, I was born this way. So the Lord's been good to me, don't you think? While Simmons plays the villain in the film, John Stamos and Vanity team up to solve a murder. I thought my father's death was an accident. I thought you said you didn't care about it. Hey, don't throw Stephen out there like that and leave me hanging. Come on. Something I've always dreamed of being a spy is more like the James Bond woman. I hope that that's what it comes across as. I think I'm a little bit meaner. I don't know. <laughs> Stamos, who is best known for a long-running role on General Hospital, makes his feature film debut in Never Too Young to Die. It's been great. I, I just have more time to, to really get into my character, I think. And I sometimes I, I can tend to slough off, you know, uh, on TV, just kind of whiz through it. And I'm here, I'm really, I have the time to concentrate and, and I really uh, prepare and work up for my scenes, you know, before. Autograph. Billy with love Velvet. It's interesting to walk around with this stuff. You walk differently because I've got these high stiletto heels. See over there? And it comes all the way up. <clears throat> Along the way there are various things that are sort of interesting. It's a combination of pleasures. Oh, my. 